Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Rabobank Deloitte session on open data in banking, powered by AWS. And thank you, AWS, for having us. My name is Elena Sparks, and I lead Deloitte's US FinTech practice and our global ecosystem and alliances program for financial services. And I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by two of my colleagues who've flown all the way from the Netherlands to tell their story today. So first, we'll have Marcel Harrison, um, who leads strategy and innovation for the corporate banking group at Rabobank. And also, um, my partner, Bart Jan Schenkels, who leads many of our digital banking efforts and initiatives in Europe. So today, we're going to talk about or explore um, innovation in the small and medium enterprise space. And really, what I want to focus on is the element of the rapid development uh, and launch of digital financial products by traditional financial institutions. That's really what this session uh, is about today. So first, Bart Jan is going to provide us a little bit of an overview of the SME market and how open data powers or enables uh, change and innovation in that space. And then Marcel is going to walk us through a little bit of an overview of Rabobank and Rabobank's uh, innovation strategy and journey. Then we'll regroup here and uh, have a bit of a Q&A session and allow all of you to, to join in that session as well. So before um, I turn it over, I, I want to, um, to invite Bart Jan um, to speak about the market overview. So thank you, Bart Jan. Thank you. So thank you very much. It's a joy to be here and a pleasure and feel privileged to come from Amsterdam to speak to you about this subject. I think the central theme of today's session is can an incumbent or traditional bank act like a unicorn? So that I think this question has been debated for the last few years and I think it's still very relevant for the market that we live in today. And if you fly into Vegas like I did, you might be inspired by the classic Vegas-style boxing matches. And you get, could say that in the blue corner, the incumbent bank, the trustworthy market leader that's been serving many, many customers with banking products for many, many years. And in the red corner, the unicorn, looking fit, using new technology to be competitive, and has won many battles coming into this battlefield. So it's actually, it's a sort of competition field. And you can ask me, sort of, what's your position? Where do you put your, your Vegas bet? Can an incumbent bank act like a unicorn? And my personal answer would be most certainly yes. And we've proven it. In a partnership for Rabobank with Deloitte and AWS, we launched a digital, uh, a digital solution for SME lending. We strategized it, we designed and built it in just 13 weeks. That resulted in that SMEs are getting a committed term sheet for a loan in just 30 minutes. That has led to excellent customer satisfaction. Why? Because we are solving one of the main pain points that an SME is experiencing from banking services today. That is the central question answered swiftly, do I get the money for my bank to run and grow my business? So let's pause here a little bit. If I was saying these kind of figures from a unicorn perspective, you would say, yeah, that's how they behave. That's probably why they are competitive. So a unicorn can do this as well. But actually, why should they? Or what's the strategic context of this? Why should they act like a, a, uh, like a unicorn? Let's look at the banking landscape over the last few years. So after the financial crisis of 2008, the banking system has been under tremendous pressure. If you look at the left-hand side, you see post-financial crisis, very traditional challenges. So there's been a stringent regime on capital requirements, leading to different profit situations for many of the products that has led to a change of business operating model. At the same time, 
KYC regulations are more stringent. Banks are asked to act as a gatekeeper of society doing KYC compliance operations and transaction monitoring. And that has led to a largely increased investment in KYC compliance within banks. And that all within a landscape of a flattening and yield curve. In Europe, it's actually below zero. And when you have a flattening and yield curve in a bank, your business operator model, there's an increased focus on efficiency. You need to make money. While this was all happening in the traditional world, we also see that in many geographies, banks are mandated to act in an open banking regulatory environment. Banks are mandated to share their customer data under customer consent to third parties. And that has led to a number of other challenges. First, in this open banking world, you see a different customer behavior. The customer's needs are changing to an integrated user journey that combines banking and non-banking products. This was also an opportunity space for fintechs. And we saw in, in the open banking world especially that fintechs have been growing using scalable cloud technology spectacularly and have reached unicorn status in record speed. And for the banks, the traditional banks, the regulators have forced this open bank phenomenon on the banks, meaning, again, additional investments to open up the bank infrastructure to third parties. So this combination of challenges brings both opportunity and threats to both the incumbent bank and the Unicorn players alike. Let's take a little look from a customer perspective again. So what I said before, we recognize in many markets that the customer behavior is changing. The customer expectation is more platform-based style behavior. So the user journey integrates banking and beyond banking service in a platform type play. That is a profound change from the traditional banking models that we see today. Most of the traditional banks have a universal banking model, which is centered around the central relationship of a bank account, a checking account or a salary account. This has been the traditional model for many, many years. In tomorrow world, we see that changing. We see that the central relationship is being built on the primary platform, leading to new digital platforms and an unbundling of products and channels. And you could see this as a tectonic shift. Now, that means that the banks are faced with a huge innovation challenge. Um, first, the major question is, as a bank, to ask is, where are we in this field? Am I behind? Am I being leapfrogged? Or is this challenge still further ahead? It's still in the far future. We see many executive boards of banks actively discussing that and debating it. And Deloitte has done a lot of research with MRT Sloan on the way that organizations behave in an innovation world. And let me sketch two types of behavior. First, the laggards. It's actually interesting. They recognize the challenge. They see that there's innovation coming and needed, but they studied long and hard at it. They spent considerable investment in POC type of experiments, over a hundred of experiments at the same time, and leadership inspiration journeys. They actually spent a lot of time studying the threat. As opposed to leaders, who already strategized the situation and, in average, have placed five big bets and are executing on that. And they're investing serious money in these bets. You could say unicorn type of investments. So what we recognize in the critical capabilities of the, in the market landscape, that the leaders actually understand their strengths. They understand they have a trusted brand. They understand regulations. They know how to deal with regulators. They also have still a large customer base compared to the unicorns. And they know how to derive value for AI analytics of this customer base. They also recognize the fact where they're lagged behind. They, knew, they know 
that they need to invest in scalable technology, get a more growth, growth mindset and, and scout for talents, and create a more partnership attitude. The strategic leaders are actually placing big back investments into a limited set of plays compared to a large portfolio of POC type of experiments. Now in this context, Deloitte is proudly presenting the open data platform powered by AWS. The open data platform is built on the principles that we believe are critical in today's competitive landscape. It enables traditional banks to break away from traditional development and enables the adoption of new scalable cloud technologies powered by AWS. It enables the launch of new propositions in weeks, not years. It's modular and flexible, and it comes with pre-integrated solutions and building blocks. And it's built for scale. And coming from Deloitte, it's secure and compliant by design. Under the hood of this platform, you will find a real-time event-driven architecture, the latest and greatest AI technology from AWS, and state-of-the-art API gateways, which connect to the banking system, the traditional banking landscape, but also to other new ecosystems. This partnership with AWS allows us to continue to innovate with them as a partner and together bring this value to our customers. So today, together with AWS, we are able to bring this technology to traditional bank in order to act like a unicorn. So, as a bank, this means that you can build competitive propositions a lot cheaper and a lot faster. But this is the slide story. Let's make this story real. And I'm very happy to present Marcel Gerts of Rabobank to tell his real life story on the Rabobank innovation journey. Thank you, Thank you Bart Jan and Elena, for the introductions. Pleasure to be here today. Uh, pretty crowded, so uh, that's good. I think um, a nice story to tell indeed. Let me talk about, um, about Rabobank first. Um, so that's one part of my, of my uh, story. The great institution I work for. Second part of my story is about SMEs, small, medium enterprises, and their innovation uh, need, basically, and we, which we translate to our innovation offering. So first about Rabobank. Rabobank is a bank founded by farmers over 100 years ago. And we have been reinventing ourselves ever since. Uh, these days, I would say very much using best-in-class tech and artificial intelligence, but very much sticking to the roots. Uh, we are a global player, and we are active in uh, nearly 40 countries. We have 41,000 employees. Um, we service over 8 million customers on a daily basis. And we are a very purpose-driven institution. So the mission you see here, growing a better world together, is basically our core mission. We are a food and egg player globally, and we try to solve the food challenges that the world sees in the, in the years to come. That's one very important thing of our institution. Second, we are a big player in the Netherlands, uh, largest consumer bank, and also by far the largest SME bank in the Netherlands. Um, and we have been doing that for the past 80 years. So we have a lot of data on SMEs. And that's going to be a crucial part of my story, so that we have long data sets. So let's look at the SMEs first. So what is small, medium enterprises? So for the sake of this presentation, imagine your favorite butcher, your favorite restaurant, Maybe your favorite beauty saloon, your favorite accountant. These are SMEs, hardworking men and women. And these play a very big part in the global economy. So 99% of businesses globally are SME businesses. Huge number. Secondly, of the global workforce of 3.4 billion, 2.3 billion, 
are employed by SMEs, so a huge group. And thirdly, nearly 60% of GDP is generated by SME companies. So I think you can imagine that this is a huge group to, to go after, and they play a very, very large role in the global economy. And they need help. So let's go back one and a half years, when the bank asked me to take up this job to basically reimagine and reinvent our SME franchise. The first thing we did, interview 3,500 SMEs. And we asked them, what do you want? What are your needs? We didn't ask them, what do you want from a bank? We asked them, what do you want? And basically, they said three things. The first thing they said was, help me grow. The second thing they said, help me save time. I'm always busy. I hardly see my family. I don't see my wife, I don't see my husband, I don't see my children, I can't go on holiday. And the third thing they said, help me save money. I want better deals. If I save money, I make a little bit more money, I can give some to, to my employees, uh, and maybe I can go on holiday with my family. So that's sort of the SME. So we said, okay, if that's what they want, let's make this our mission in the innovation space in the bank. Everything we do, focusing on saving money, saving time, and help entrepreneurs grow. And we do that along the full S-curve that you can see behind me, because some of the needs of entrepreneurs at the left-hand side of the S-curve are different than fast-growing companies and mature companies. And you can also put a sector focus on this. So this is basically where we started. We said, what do you need? They said, help me save time, help me save money, help me grow. Then we thought about how to innovate, and we came up with four different methods. And I will talk through them one by one. So method number one, innovate in the bank, in the institution you work for. That can, I think, be done for smaller innovations. Why only for smaller innovations? I think most uh, backlogs of IT departments in well, large institutions are already filled up. And in banks very much also due to important regulatory requirements that we have to process all the time. And secondly, legacy systems don't really allow us to innovate very fast. So I think smaller innovations in the bank, yes. Transformational innovations inside the bank, I think not. Second, partnerships. So working with companies that have certain technologies that you can also use. If your infrastructure is already open and I would say API ready, this could be an interesting way to do it. Uh, if not, uh, you can still do it, but what we call in a more high touch fashion, so non-tech non partnerships. Uh, for instance, working together with incubators and accelerators. Third method is take shares. In Rabobank, we do that. We have a large Frontier Venture Fund, Rabo Frontier Ventures, a VC fund, and we take investments in uh, promising technologies uh, that we would like to try out uh, at, a little bit at the edge by taking a stake. We do that also. But then the fourth method is basically the method we apply for real transformational innovation, and we do that at the edge of the bank. So, when we sorted out the innovation requirements, SMEs want to spend, to save money, save time, and, and grow. We then said, let's apply that to a real breakthrough innovation and rent basically a floor in a local branch of the bank and start basically act as a startup, and that's what we did. I'll show you a movie. Entrepreneurs are experts at what they do, but when it comes to borrowing, they need all the support they can get. Requesting a small business loan can be complex and frustrating. 
When you think that 99% of all businesses are small, and seven out of 10 of us rely on them for our livelihood, one thing is clear, small business deserves better. And this is the moment. Entrepreneurs demand it. Technology is up to it. And now, open banking enables it. Introducing Funder from Rabobank. Financing that fits your business, whatever it is you need to grow. Just answer a few questions online and get a response in under 15 minutes. Using a responsible AI risk engine enabled by open banking and PSD2 data, it calculates an accurate credit forecast in seconds, resulting in a committed price and product offer in simple terms we all understand. And it's API-based, so it easily plugs into bank channels and third-party ecosystems. Funder went from a good idea to the first customer securing a loan in just 13 weeks. With an innovation mindset, an agile process, and technology like open data, banks can build secure, compliant tech solutions in months, not years. It means an institution like Rabobank can set the pace and keep ahead of the high-tech startups nipping at its heels. Moving forward, Funder will continue to swiftly expand, adding new lending products and plugging into new ecosystems so entrepreneurs can grow their business with the support of a partner they know and trust. Great, isn't it? I think, yeah, you understand I'm pretty proud to stand here eh, to build a new business at the edge of the bank, a product that we have been doing in the past 70 years, which is a core product of the bank, go from an idea to go live in 13 weeks. And what's even more impressive, we definitely fulfill the innovation focus we have because they definitely save time, the SMEs, getting committed financing in under 15 minutes. They save money. This is lending at high street prices. And they definitely can grow. They can get a loan, a lease, a business mortgage, an overdraft facility to basically buy stuff and grow their business. So uh, I think that's a great story uh, to tell. And um, this is not the only story we're working on at the moment. So the method we applied to Funder is a method we are now also applying to uh, other big bets in our institution. Um, Funder, we call banking as a service. So it's a service we can plug into our own channels, but we can also plug it into the channels of others. We also do banking as a partner and banking as a platform. I can talk about that maybe some other time. So before I close off, I think it's important to uh, recap. Um, so we said nine months ago, let's create options. And nine months later, we have options. So this is a story about how to create options for you as an institution to fulfill the needs of your core customers, in this case SME, to help them grow, save time and save money. And you can basically do that in 13 weeks. And I think that's a great story to tell and I think that's also where technology comes in and we're going to talk about that now on stage. So I'd like to invite Bart-Jan and Elena on stage also. Thank you. Reposition chairs here, so it's not full up. <laughs> Fantastic. So it is a great story, um, Marcel. And as I was listening to you, your presentation and, and Bart Jan, your discussion about kind of the battle, uh, if you will, between the unicorns and the traditional financial institutions, I just want to start um, by asking you, Marcel. So. What do you consider, what does Rabobank consider itself? You know, a, a fast-moving unicorn or a traditional institution? Or maybe it's even your business specifically in corporate banking. Yeah. Now, I think, great question. I think we're now both. I think um, the slides that Bart-Jan um, had about that, I think, uh, say it all. The fact that we can now build businesses in 13 weeks and add products to that 
in a in couple of weeks. I think it's sort of unicorn behavior. But we very much benefit, I, I would say, from the traditional bank assets we have. A lot of customers, a brand, trust, uh, and we have a lot of data. And we can uh, put those to work for the benefit of our customers. It's, it's a hybrid, I guess. Um, and, and I guess as I think about your slide, Bert-Jan, it is truly the best of, of both worlds. Uh, the capabilities that you listed from traditional institutions and those that were also listed uh, yeah. with respect to unicorns. So um, I, wanted, I want to also explore, um, you know, this is big change. It's big change for a traditional institution. What kind of buy-in or sponsorship you know, did this require? Was this a discussion with the CIO and CEO, or was this, did this have to be escalated, right, to, to the board level or, or others in the institution to get buy-in for such a big endeavor? Yeah. So how we do it in Rabobank, we have uh, an innovation board, separate from the board. I'm part of the innovation board. And I had a conversation with my colleagues in the innovation board for about three to four months. And we also went to the executive board and even to the supervisory board to talk about this, uh, to make sure that there is true buy-in. And why is this so important? Basically, what we do, we build a speedboat next to the, what we call mothership. And uh, it creates, it requires a lot of sponsorship from, from top, uh, top of the bank uh, to make sure that whilst executing, there's no uh, different thoughts about this. And uh, well, I'm pretty proud that I work for an institution where uh, the board and the supervisory board support this uh, because this is a core product for the bank. We have been doing this for the last 70 years, lending money to SMEs, but now doing it totally different. Uh, that requires a lot of guts. And uh, I'm happy to work for a company that has the guts to do it. Absolutely. If I may add, yeah, sure. if, you, if you look at Deloitte's research, we're doing a lot of Deloitte's research on this and we have called uh, the center of the edge. So on these edge plays, board support and CEO support is very, very critical. And we noticed that in the Rabobank as well. Because if you, if you act like a startup within a traditional bank, like we did, you will hit barriers, you will hit immune systems. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're good immune systems because they keep you awake on true challenges you need to look at, and sometimes you need to take them away. And there, sometimes you need to go to the executive board. And we've had great sponsorship in our whole journey. Fantastic, great point. And Marcel, as a, as a follow-on, you'd mentioned it took maybe three or four months. What was some of the hesitancy to make this move, um, uh, I guess, by the board and other executives? And what did you do to continuously try to sell them? Or what data did you provide that got them basically comfortable in the end? Yeah. So what I did at first was basically go out, uh, travel across the globe, um, and see what's out there, what's possible. And then I came back, I said, okay guys, um, technology is now ready for it to really do a big play. And um, uh, then I ran an RFP process, inviting several parties. I also sent the RFP to Rabobank, to the mothership. So I wanted to have a venture capital type of approach, separate speedboat next to the bank. Right. And I did send the RFP to Rabobank also, and they said, okay, thanks for the RFP. Unfortunately, our people are busy with other stuff. Right. And I think that was a great method to basically get the buy-in also, to um, work with a partner, uh, which turned out to be Deloitte, um, but then also on the very strict timelines, and then we said, okay, I will prove we can go live in 13 weeks. And the fact that we could then uh, subsequently generated uh, much more support. Right. Proving that trust, I guess, yes. building that trust. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, the team and I guess, you know, basically having to go outside, you know, the organization. Um, can you talk about the composition of that team? Who is in that team? Um, what were the skills and capabilities yeah. that were required to yeah. deliver? So on, on the funder, there's an AI risk engine. So that's basically the, 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 the brain in, under the thing. So I have a very strong internally uh, staffed uh, risk team, advanced analytics risk team. 
next to that, we have three what we call lenses. So one is looking at can we make money, viability, I would say good old strategy consulting. Um, the second lens is um, uh, desirability. So we continually, continuously do growth hacking and customer testing. So we have websites online all the time with designs where the customers click. So that's a desirability stream uh, with UX designers, growth hackers, and so on. And then, of course, we have the IT guys. Can it be built? And we work in two-week sprints. And all those three lenses come together every two weeks, uh, sometimes blood on the wall, <laughs> because it needs to happen in the crosshair of the three lenses. Uh, and if they come together, then there is uh, results and uh, traction. And that is, I guess, monitored or measured often through that, or it was through that 13-week uh, process. Definitely. So we had six, one week preparation and six sprints of uh, two weeks, and then we went live. Yeah. I think what was very critical... World, we think a world record. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's a good challenge to the market. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what's very critical to notice that you'll see different capabilities, like Mark said, the free lenses as well. But they all came together under one goal, similar to what you see in a startup, a similar kind of attitude. Because you need everybody to focus. And like any high-performance team, setting a goal, like releasing uh, a new proposition in 13 weeks, is actually very encouraging. And where the magic happens, indeed, sometimes blood flies on the wall. There are real, true discussions what is needed. And not afterwards when you hit the problem, but during the agile journey. And I think that's very, very critical. If you walk, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with unicorns as well. If you walk into the Rabobank size facility, it will look very, very similar. Mm. You will see a similar type of profiles, similar ways of working, and a similar work attitude. People work very hard to get to their sprint goals. Yeah. And they, 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 we celebrate together when we achieve those. Right. That's great, the, the culture of a true yes. startup. Um, so Marcel, you talked about desirability and viability, meaning is it actually, will it actually make money? Um, and you talked about technology, which, which I think of as feasibility, right? Is it, is it actually feasible? I'd like to explore that for a minute. So you talked about in the slides, technology is up for it. Um, that means it, it must be feasible, right? Can, can you elaborate on what does that mean in this context of this product, this new product? Well, I think that we live in a spectacular world, and that's why we created the Deloitte uh, AWS partnership. So if you compare technologies from sort of four or five years ago, we've been helping clients to do challenger kind of new proposition plays a year ago, and we were very happy to reach a new proposition in a year and a half. Now, with the new technologies, it's a lot faster. It's not only faster, it's also inherently compliant. It's, it's much more cybersecurity comes into play. It's better to protect. It's easier. So it, has, it ticks many of the boxes. It ticks many of the boxes why it's competitive. And like, like Marcel looked around in the unicorns, they're using it. It's proven. So if you go to a startup world, they're on Amazon. It's actually not, sort of, for most of them, not even a discussion, because that's how they scale. Right. But if you are a traditional bank with mainframes still there and a lot of VMware and on-premise, et cetera, you have funny debates. It's not secure. Yes, it's more secure. Yeah, but I can't hold the server. Yeah, that's cloud, and it's actually better. It's actually better not to hold the server. Right. So you, you see that there's, there's a behavioral change within the company. But the technology is spectacular. And every time sort of we are here at reInvent not only to present, but also work with AWS to put their new innovations to clients like the Rabobank. Absolutely. Thank you, Bart-Jan. Um, so I don't want to, to forget the fact that we operate in a highly regulated industry. So we talked about stakeholders, including the board, and how important it was to get them truly on board. Let's talk about the regulatory angle. So how were you able to, or I guess, how early did you involve them? What was their reaction? And are they still involved today? Are they monitoring, you know, kind of what is happening? Yeah. Now, I can assure you that the regulator is uh, looking at this uh, initiative with uh, very high interest. Uh, also, also, given the fact that we are using AI uh, in a credit decision process, right. which is pretty new uh, in the European market. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have 25 regulators on-premise five days a week, and we have been talking to, the pro to them about the project on a very regular basis, and we have nothing to hide. 
we have nothing to hide, so we talk to them all the time, and they said to us, okay, this is a great experiment, take us along the journey, we can learn from you, you can learn from us, and we have very regular meetings with the regulator uh, to talk about the project, um, and they uh, are very much aware of what we're doing. Fantastic. There's also a technology angle to this. So when I talked about the event-driven architecture, etc., sort of this new type of cloud-native platforms that we're presenting, they also are much better designed to very normal question regulator ask. You know, there, there's a lot of debate. A regulator will ask a bank, can you prove to me which event occurred in the past and how it was handled? So when a client came in a year ago, which model did you use? What was it based on, etc.? This is all stored in the event log. It's immutable. We can prove that to the regulator. So from a regulatory perspective, the architecture they present is actually better than what you see in a traditional bank, where you need to reconcile data, you need to do all kinds of paperwork to actually prove that the database that run three years ago is actually the same. This is all implicit now. It's, it's built into the proposition. Right. So there can I add something to of that? Course. I think what's also very interesting, so the technology we now use in Funder is so flexible that we can change things overnight in a week, in two weeks. And that's not understood yet properly by the regulator that we can do that. They basically don't believe it yet okay. that we can do it. So, so we, we need to make a, that happen. We need it's, to. It's, <laughs> a, it's a totally different ballgame. And I think yeah. that's, that's pretty interesting about this uh, project also. Yeah. And also people internally don't believe it, that we can make changes or fixes or model upgrades or pricing model changes overnight. That quickly. Can. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's great to understand how supportive they are and, um, and so keen to learn. Um, and I think the, the skepticism also is very healthy, right? So you'll prove to them that you can make these changes, you know, quickly and move no, you're, on. Again, you're, it's that trust factor. I think that's very important, right? So, so you appreciate good competition from unicorns, et cetera, because they are inspirational. And when you look at that, you start to copy that, the same sort of training tactics. Right. But also regulate. It's a banking industry. It's, it's, it's the money entrusted from an SME client to a bank. It's something you need to take dearly. The regulators have a role. And they have a true role for society. And for example, on KYC compliance or sort of proving audit logs, it's a fair role. They're, they're there for a purpose. It's a right. different kind of industry than the consumer industry. Probably. Right, yeah. right. So I want to go back to, to one of um, the topics that we touched on a little bit earlier around the whole on the edge, you know, kind of, kind of model. And I'm assuming um, like a number of institutions, perhaps yours was set up to, to really kind of operate in a covert fashion, right? Um, kind, of, kind of in a secret operation so that, you know, the antibodies weren't coming out to attack the immune system. Um, but I know that there must have been antibodies in this process. Definitely. Um, so it sounds like it didn't come from the regulators and it didn't come maybe from the board, but can you talk a little bit about where that skepticism within the organization came from and you know, what, it, what it looks like now mm -hmm. that you've had such success in 13 weeks? Yeah. So I think the, um, the fact that we had this approved um, beginning of the year and started uh, sort of mid-Feb and it's now exactly nine months later, uh, people basically only noticed when we did this when we went live. And then they said, what happened? So the first part only, yeah, so on the board, very much aware, regulator also aware, uh, rest of the organization basically uh, started becoming involved after go live. And since then we spent a lot of time with, um, well, with what we say mothership, uh, to work with the marketing guys, with the IT guys. And they're now starting to help because they also see that this could be a, ga a game changer. Uh, but it's a fine line. It's a very fine line. Um, and uh, we always talk about the mothership and the speedboat. And, um, and about the... Uh, so we have to be connected. But it shouldn't be a chain. So it should be some elastic elastic band or something, right. and it's a, it's a very thin line to, to walk. And, and the team in Zeist, where, where they sit, they work on the project, and I basically travel to Mothership and to Zeist very often to make sure that all communication lines are open, okay. but that the team can work 
separate uh, and, and being focused on, on the result. Right. But it's a very fine line, and I can assure you it's not easy. It's not easy. So this is a great story. It's not easy. It's actually interesting imagine. if you look at the 13-week sprints that we do. So we work in 13-week sprints to get to a common goal. And it's like climbing a mountain. I lived in Switzerland for four years. It's like climbing a mountain. Your first stage, you celebrate, you're there, you're on the first stage, etc. But actually, every stage gets harder because it's a big bet. It gets more real. And it can disrupt probably a large part of the banks. So every time you achieve the next goal, you celebrate, but at the same time, you realize that the challenge with the immune system becomes more real right. and the resistance probably goes up, which is very understandable because the impact is bitter. Right. But it's a reality of these kind of journeys. Absolutely. I agree. And, and you're touching a little bit on a question that I want to ask, but um, we will open up um, to all of you to ask questions here in a moment. And I think we have one, yes, we have one microphone in the room. So if you do have a question, just raise your hand um, and our colleagues will find you. But since you both talked about, um, you both said this is not easy. Right, and of course it's not easy. I think it would be helpful for you know, all of us to understand what are the key learnings? You know, what is the advice you would have to uh, you know, an incumbent traditional institution that is looking to do something similar? You know, three to five you know, kind of key takeaways, whatever comes to mind for you. Yeah, now definitely how I started is to talk, about, talk to customers first. Because if the customer says this is what we want, Basically, you have gold on your shoulder. Eh? That's, uh, I think, how it works. So if the customers say, we want this, who are we to not do it? I think that's, that's number one. Yeah. Very customer-centric. Second, we took six months to basically prepare the organization that we were go going to do it. So it, that takes six months preparation time, I would say, before you actually start the speedboat. Right. Third, uh, very much look outside. So take people outside your institution, go travel the world, see what others are doing, because then people start to believe that it would be possible. Uh, and then they start to believe in the dream. And I think what's also very important is that you have a great team uh, who really believe in it also. And also a team in which the, the mothership puts trust. And I think that's, uh, that's not easy also to build that. So those would be my answers to your question. Fantastic, thank you. And do you have views on that? Yeah, coming back to my presentation, act like a leader, right? And don't, don't make big bets. You need to do a bit of experimentation, that's probably fair, but make big bets. And once you put your mind to it, to reshape the SME lending space, which is very critical of Bank, just, just push through and put the investments in. Right. And you need, like we know, you need board support for that. Because this is a, a high impact journey, it's not like an innovation factory just for the fun of it, like corporate entertainment. Sometimes these innovation hubs in banks, they look like corporate entertainment. Right. Uh, and this is not. This is actually impacting the bank. This is impacting the heart of the bank. That's right. And actually, the other thing is, people actually, when you put committed people onto such a challenge, you give them a common goal, and you achieve the result, it's hard work. People like that. People are up for a challenge. Yes. And if you explain it well, and you combine it to the purpose of Rabobank, so you give people the feel that they are doing the good for the, for the clients. Mm -hmm. And for SME, that's very real for everybody in the team. They know. So we look at funder clients, and sometimes we look, oh, that's the bakery, or I can understand that, that, it, that we help that particular client. So if you get a purpose feel behind that objective, people get even more motivated. Right. I love that. I mean, um, it is all about the customer, right? And, and the team feeling really great about making an impact. Um, again, around this purpose, and, and Marcella, I would imagine, um, I think you're being very humble. Of course, it's about the team, but I think it's also about the leader of this initiative and you know, really being purposeful and choosing who would lead such an initiative. So congratulations to you. I think, I think that's also um, very important and probably not thought of you know, as much um, by institutions as as much as clearly it was thought of in your case. So um, I do want to open it up uh, for, for questions. Do we have any questions out there? Great. Yeah. We'll get the microphone over to you. 
Thank you. I have a question about your funder offering. Um, it's a very bold, bold step forward. Did you maintain your legacy offering in parallel and see how the new one was adopted, or was this burn all bridges, offer the new one, and fix it going forward? Yeah. Good question. I think a very great question. So basically, we have now two offerings in parallel. Um, so we run sort of A-B test, A being the mothership, B the speedboat. And we are currently considering to stop A and put all the money to B. Uh, so we have sort of a risk bucket uh, that we separated, uh, which we negotiated with our, well, basically with our compliance legal and risk team. Uh, and, and we're using that risk bucket at the moment. Uh, the product offerings we have in A and B, they're fairly similar. The prices are fairly similar. Uh, but B, we very much enter clients through growth hacking, so only online. Uh, and we're now funneling three local branches to B, to really test B. And by the end of January, we're going to take a decision, are we going to put money on A or B? which is, I think, pretty soon after starting an initiative like this. Yeah, I, like I think that's, 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 I think, also a success uh, that we have the option now to, to choose. And, and, we, uh, and, and we're in the midst of that discussion as we speak. And I like your question because it's one of the, the pivotal questions when we started. And again, coming to the customer research that Marcel and his team already did, we actually looked carefully, what is the real pain point first? So one of the key lessons what you asked is also in your first iteration, go for the real pain point. And the real pain point is actually getting a committed term sheet, not processing the loan. The, 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 the bank has a secure system for processing loans. And when an SME customer actually knows that he's going to get the money, he's probably satisfied to will come a week later and he needs to do a little bit of paperwork because he knows the value of the deal already. So the critical pain point was actually in the sales process, do I get the money? And that's what we put into the proposition. Now, in the journey, like Marcel said, we're expanding that to a wider, wider impact. But the first move you make in such a proposition, you need to choose carefully and go for the real pain point, which in this case is actually just give me a committed term sheet. Other questions? There were other questions. Yeah. Thank you. Are you still connected to the mothership? So are you still using all the sort of mothership services like authentication from a technical perspective and then all the business processes like risk and treasury and HR and all those functions? Yeah, good question. So what we, what we put in the speedboat is basically the front side of the customer process. So what SMEs need is basically, can I get a loan or not? And if I can I get a loan, how much is it going to cost me? And what's the tenor? And what are the conditions of the loan? And we now can provide it in, say, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Um, and that's basically the key need of the SME. And we can now provide that through the, basically the front layer. Uh, and if we negotiate the deal and it's done, uh, the booking, we do that in the old mothership system. Um, because that's not where the customer sits. Um, so we basically re we redone. So I've been a banker for quite some time. This is basically my dream project to do it properly with new technology from a white piece of paper. Um, and that's basically what we did. And the customers are very pleased with that. But indeed, we are using downstream in the, in the mothership other, other processes and other systems indeed. Yep. You, you also need to uh, take into account that this is open banking. So we built it for open banking purposes. So in Europe, that's called PSD2. And so when you, what, what the process actually is, you identify yourself then you collect the data via secure authentication process around PSD2. We load the transaction data, put it through the air model, give the committed term sheet, which actually means that non-bank customers can get a committed term sheet under the condition that they become a customer. So smartly enough, if you appreciate open banking, you open it up to the competition. 
And I think other banks will notice that, that suddenly they can access to the transaction data of other banks. Yeah. And this is the changing play of open banking, that if you are good at these kind of solving these kind of pain points, it's far easier to be competitive against other banks or unicorns that are doing the same. Yeah. So to put some numbers against it, so there's 1.7 million entrepreneurs in the Netherlands, uh, around a million are customers of Rabo. Funder is open to the other 700,000 also. You don't have to be a Rabo customer to get a, a loan quote. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah. Okay. We have two in the back there. Thank you. Uh, what type of, uh, what size of engineering team was required for, to implement the technical requirements? Very interesting. Um, I think testimony to the power of technology in those cloud-based platforms. Sort of, if you would ask this in a traditional bank, they will probably stack up to large numbers. I think the 13-week sprint was done by a team of 10 to 15 engineers. Uh, so, so we, we, and then the other sort of, and there was sort of 50% of the total team are actually engineers. The other are product designers, people who understand regulations, strategy people, etc. like we talked about the freelancers. But what's clearly demonstrated as well is that what I showed the slide of sort of increased speed so you can go to market faster, is also reduced cost. And a big part of the cost reduction is with good engineers and the right tool set, you can innovate a lot faster. So it's like what Kasparov says, it's the man and the machine. Mm -hmm. and, and this clearly demonstrated. So the number of engineers is actually in my historic terms, pretty small compared to a traditional play. So um, assuming in a few months the A-B testing completes and the mothership, or you all, cho choose um, Funder to be the primary SME lending proposition, how do you prevent mothership from trying to change the en engine for instance, they might ask you to stick it on mainframe or something, or some technology which Mothership <laughs> is more comfortable with. That sounds like the antibodies coming out. The antibodies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think there's no guarantees, but I think the fact that we are now able to uh, build stuff soon, introduce new products soon, make changes to pricing models soon, make changes to um, uh, acceptance criteria soon, um, Customer scores of 9.3 out of 10. Um, well, I think there's, it's very difficult to have a debate about that. Um, of course, we will sort of talk and think about how to um, at least partly integrate the speed speedboat with the mothership. But I rather than have people from the mothership send over to the speedboat, then I send the speedboat over to the mothership. Uh, and I'm talking about that as we speak. Uh, and I can assure you that many of the IT guys that work in Mothership definitely are very interested to, to think and work in the speedboat. They really like the stuff over there. And we're going to talk about that in the next few months. Yeah. But my preference is to keep it separate as a speedboat. I think large institutions generally, uh, banks or non-banks, uh, have to be split up in smaller entities anyway. Uh, very focused, delivering customer um, uh, impact uh, successfully. And I think I'd rather see more speedboats than uh, putting the speedboat back into the mothership. And I'm going to fight uh, for that concept, <laughs> I can assure you. There's also another perspective onto this question. It's a good, very good question. It's like, who are the stakeholders on such a proposition? And again, on the freelancers, there are multiple stakeholders. So there are business board members almost on a weekly basis looking at this initiative. So it's business-led. And also the IT guys are looking into that, reviewing the technology that we use, is it safe, is it secure, et cetera, and the, and the compliance people look at it as well. And when you achieve such a result, they get more convinced that actually this makes common sense. So this is not a pure IT play. This is not a play that you go to the CIO to talk about this is a great idea. Marshall's not a CIO, he's a business people. So I think that's very critical. And also on the, related to the previous question, engineers, good engineers like good technology. So if you give them the state-of-the-art cloud-based services of AWS that they're used to, 
They love to work with that because it's more powerful. It's a lot more fun to create impact by, with a 15-people team than doing classic waterfall or mainframe type stuff that takes far longer. And that's not judgmental, that's just an observation. On that point, Brian, I'll ask you a quick follow-up question and then we have time for probably one more question from the audience. So you, you'd mentioned that this is so much more fun than you know, um, creating something on mainframe. So what exactly is the role of AWS in projects like this, in initiatives like this? So they are, they are a partner of us. So uh, we uh, sort of developed the open data platform there. They're actively involved in quality assurance in the project. So we, we get assurance that we use their uh, technologies well, and we use the proper set of services that are designed to do the things that we think they need to do. And also in the roadmap going forward, sort of following reInvent presentation, we'll work together in say, what are the new innovations that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the role is actually pretty active. It's a, it's a key partner, and they also connect directly to Marcel to talk about the broader strategic concept. So it's a true partner to the initiative. Great. Maybe to add to that, in Rubblebank we have an innovation board, I'm part of that. We have innovation architects, mm -hmm. and the chief innovation architect guy, uh, and the chief architect sits into the, into the innovation board. And within Rubble we innovate on AWS, so our whole okay. innovation uh, spiel is on AWS, um, and that's also that it's pretty handy that we use AWS also in, in this big bet. Fantastic. So all the speedboats will be powered by AWS. Yeah, correct. Okay. Uh, do we have time for one more question in the back? So um, you mentioned that you use uh, PSD2 and open banking to get customer data in order to analyze it and uh, work out what the risk is. How do you plan to expand it to places which don't currently offer an open banking solution? So for example, Europe has PSD2, but US doesn't have any legislative uh, open banking platform. How do you ex uh, plan to do that? Yeah, I think very good question. So we currently focus on the Netherlands, expanding to countries that, um, that are in our, uh, well, in our neighborhood. Uh, Rabobank is a, is a large player in Australia. Uh, we're a large player in Brazil. We're also a large player in the US. And we're talking to our rural colleagues um, about using the funder technology for those markets also. Uh, but it's a little bit early days. Um, but in the funder process, uh, you, we also have plan B. So if there's no PSD2, we can upload transaction data. Uh, and I think any SME in the world with a bank account has transaction data that can be shared and uploaded into the funder process. So uh, the, the fact that PSD2 is not there in a, in a country open banking, uh, we already figured out a workaround. Okay, we, we might be able to work in one more question. If anyone has another question in the back. Great to see some Dutch uh, colleagues uh, on the stage. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, great success, 13 weeks, uh, well done, very well done. My question is related to the uh, partnership of Deloitte. Uh, what is the role of Deloitte right now? Of, is there still a role? Yes, yeah, so we ran a request for proposal process with, um, well, I sent it to Rabobank and I sent it to a few external partners and I selected Deloitte in the end as the partner. And if you now look at the, uh, the number of people on the project, around 25% is Rabo, 75% is Deloitte. And we basically work in one team. So if you would come to Zeist, you wouldn't see the difference between Rabo staff and Deloitte staff. And that's basically how we run it now. And we are still, uh, I think, writing a lot of code at the moment that will go down. And we're thinking about uh, replacing uh, Deloitte people with uh, rather internal people over time. And we'll do that next year. Yeah, I think for us as Deloitte, it's very critical to create this impact and to help Rabobank also build the capability. So we help build the propositions from all the perspectives we discussed about. But at the same time, we also want to upscale the capability within Rabobank. So this is not an outsourcing kind of deal with us. It's not like a BPO deal. I think we're distinctive in the market. We like to create the strategic impact. 
and then build these propositions out and grow them, and at the same time build the capability within Rabobank to be successful. And that's why it's important that this is all open source stuff, so we have no lock-in, also not to Deloitte, which was one of the things in the RFP process, I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it has been a great partnership across all entities, uh, Deloitte, Rabobank, and AWS. I want to thank you all for coming, and if you have any questions um, or you'd like to, to have a chat, the team, and of course, Bart Jan and Marcel will be here over the next couple of days, so easy to find. Thank, thank you, you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.